I'm Cesar Rubio, five-time past master of Palm Springs Laws number 693, and this is Masonic Muscle, where we focus on the strongest aspect of Freemasonry, a virtuous education of the mind, fortifying it with wise and serious truths, encouraging all brethren to increase their level of fitness one degree at a time, making exercise and study a cornerstone of your daily routine, because Freemasonry is work. When you put in the work, you get closer and closer to the point within the circle. Masonic Muscle, we give you more light, but no light weights. We're here to pump you up, body, mind, and soul. Your right, introduction, just beautiful. Your introduction reminds me of Hans and Franz from Saturday Night Live. We're here you to pump you up. You got it. This is correct. Today, everybody, we have Brother John S. Nagy, author of numerous books, author of numerous articles. He's been a speaker all over the place. Uh, before we get to him, though, I'd like to just share my little motivation for all the brethren and exercise. And I think, uh, Brother Nagy, you're going to enjoy this one. I often read an article from a website called Super Strength Training. It is a website that dedicates itself to collecting out-of-print books and how the old strongmen used to train. And so he reprints them, and then we can buy them and stuff. But he also puts out a newsletter. This one is called Progression. It's all in the math. How many times have you heard the following response when someone wants you to draw your own conclusions? You do the math. What they really are suggesting is that you use logic. Logic is a form of deductive reasoning. And deductive reasoning is based on mathematics. Believe it or not, math is the basis for just about everything. You find it everywhere and you see it every day in nature in measurement, in music, in art, in sculpture, in science, in engineering, in education, in accounting, in Freemasonry, brethren, and in progressive resistance exercise. So it was the late, great Arthur Jones, inventor of the Nautilus machines, that once said, remember, it is impossible to evaluate or even understand anything that you cannot measure. When you begin on your road to physical improvement, you immediately begin using math to measure your improvement of body part size, you use a tape measure. To measure your improvement of body weight, you use a weight scale. To measure your endurance, you use time via a clock. To measure your tempo, you also use a clock. To measure the, your improvement of strength or resistance, you use a weight, such as an adjustable plate loading, barbell, and or dumbbell in increments of pounds. In addition, you utilize numbers of repetitions and sets. By the way, anyone who ever has trained with barbells and dumbbells is very familiar with using sets or repetitions or training. So what does this have to do with Freemasonry? Well, it said that this was a progressive, right? Progressive resistance. And what a lot of brethren forget is that Freemasonry is a progressive science. And we also apply progressive resistance to our learning, little by little, increasing the repetitions of the ritual floor work that we must learn, increasing the resistance, so to speak, of the amount of what we need to learn as far as history, symbolism, mysterious origins of Freemasonry. Also, there's mathematics everywhere in Freemasonry. But the most important for me is because I love ritual, is the timing and rhythm of the catechism and the timing and rhythm of the floor work and the memory work that we have to perform for each degree and for other little things that we perform throughout the year at Lodge. So mathematics, resistance training, progressively increasing the resistance to, to get stronger and stronger, to get better, but also 
within the lodge, you have to constantly go over and over and over again, repeating repetitions of memory work. I just gave the first degree lecture long form at our lodge. That's a 22 minute lecture. I can't tell you how many times I repeated that thing before I actually gave it. Repetitions, brothers. And by the way, speaking of which, election of officers is here in California, all throughout the state in November, the first stated meeting of November for all of you lodges. And have you been getting ready? Have you been doing the repetitions to memorize your work, to get more knowledgeable about the craft so you can speak about it intelligently with whether it's a brother or a prospective member? Have you been doing that? And more than anything, have you been doing your push-ups? Do some push-ups. Get strong, just like our brother Jack Lane. Now, without further ado, I introduce Brother John S. Nagy. Thank you for being here with us tonight, Brother. Caesar, thank you so much, Brother, for having me come and speak with you and answer some questions and share a little light. Well, the honor's on mine. I've been listening to your podcast, as I was previously mentioning to you, just about 10 minutes ago on the Craftsman's Online. And your segments are excellent. They are short, they're concise. But recently, some of the interviews, some of the information that you've been bringing about due to your book, The Craft Unmasked, or The Craft Mastered, has just really began to show to me, you're really zeroing in on something here that is not zeroed in too much in Freemasonry. I began to zero in on this and hone in on this, starting with the Regis Manuscript and starting with the Seven Liberal Arts and Sciences and the practice of the Trivium. So what was it for you that triggered this and triggered you to write this book? First of all, The Craft Unmasked, excellent book, The Uncommon Origin of Freemasonry and Its Practice. What triggered that? And that's a great question, by the way. It started with a question that was posed, how do you justify differentiating Freemasonry from Masonry? And my response was, I wasn't separating the two. I was just basically describing what I saw going on in Lodge and saw in the different manuscripts and books that I was reading. The Masonry always focused on personal development and progression toward building that spiritual building, whereas Freemasonry always had to do with supporting the organization of Freemasons. It had to do with the organization itself, mm -hmm. the hierarchy, the laws, the traditions, mm -hmm. the whole kit and caboodle. When it comes to talking about the organization, it was always stressing Freemasonry, whereas Masonry was always stressing how does one improve oneself? And so what happened was I said to the person who was asking me about this, I really do need to write a book on my findings. So I wrote Building Free Men investigating the origins of the word free as it's applied to free and accepted, Freemason, Freestone, Freeborn. And what I found was absolutely mind-boggling. The word free literally came from the French Franche, Franck Maison, Franck Pierre, and a few other words. And what happened is between 1300 and 1400, the English aristocracy went from speaking French to English. And we had the beginnings of modern English in and around that time. And what they did was they had Franck this, Franck that, masons and bakers and fishmongers and tailors and blacksmiths. And they all had this word Franck in front of them. And I said, well, you know, we're being told that Freemason came from free stonemason. But the fact of the matter is all the guilds had Franck in front of them. And ultimately, when it converted into modern English, they used the word free. 
in the sense of franc. And when you look back at the word franc, literally, we have a holdover from that time called frankincense, which literally means pure or superior incense. You come to understand that the word franc, or as we say in English, free, did not mean unrestrained. It literally meant pure, superior, excellent, or masterful. And so when I wrote that book, I said to myself, well, if that's what it meant, then what are we actually doing as an organization? And during the research of that free word, I came across another holdover from before, the word mastery and mystery. And what I found is in and around that time, the word literally was synonymously used to refer to a craft or a profession. So when you went to the mystery schools at that time, or you were asked, what's your mystery? It was basically asking what your profession was. And that opened the door to writing the book. I said, okay, if that's what it is, then we now can look at how that applies. And one of the blocks that I stumbled and then ultimately stepped upon as a stepping stone was how mystery schools and mystery plays were performed by the professional guilds in and around that time. And that just absolutely blew the door open. I said, holy crow, that's what we're doing. We're putting on mystery plays, as in professional plays and private plays. We call them ritual, but we're still putting on plays. And they're all morality-based. There's a moral purpose to every last one of them, which, by the way, characterizes exactly why we put these things on, to highlight and spotlight the morality of the candidates going through and ultimately investigate our own morality and improve our own morality. Now, right now, as you definitely explained to all of us how this came about, all I kept hearing was you were defining your terms. You had to define your terms before you can proceed any further with this discovery that you've been making, because it's very important to understand what the word means. Number one, define your terms. And then number two, the etymology, where is this word coming from? That's exactly what you just did, which is exactly what we do during the trivium. The, during the trivium, the, the way we practice it at Palm Springs is we would ask a question. And after about 10 minutes, 14 minutes going through this question, we go and define a certain word. We get out a bunch of dictionaries. We try to get down to the etymology. And once we understand what the word really means, now that question is not the same no more. That same question all of a sudden took on a whole different meaning, and now the conversation just shifted. Whereas they were giving one answer or answers, now they're giving this completely different answer because we define your terms. You mentioned frank, you mentioned mastery, mystery, mystery schools, mystery plays. All these things are all surrounding Freemasonry and have been for centuries now, and you're penetrating that veil you're piercing that veil now and helping us to understand this is where it's coming from. And Caesar, let me expand a little bit. I'm not really truly defining my terms. And this was one of the things that was asked of me, why are you redefining Freemasonry and Masonry? I didn't redefine any one of them and I didn't define the terms. What I did was I went into the etymology. I went into the history. I went into the context to which all these terms were being used and I described what I was seeing. I described how these words are being used and how these terms were being thrown in and out of play and how they switched meaning within the context of how they were being used. And so 
yes, I understand why you would say define the terms. It's important when you're doing something that is new. However, this material has been around for ages, hundreds of years. And part of the problem is nobody has taken the time to really describe within context what these words actually meant before they were corrupted by the ignorance of generations of unknowing Masons coming in and basically inventing things along the path to make it sound good for the candidates coming through. And I'm sorry, after going through that myself, I recognized I did not want to have that happen to the next generation. And the only way to prevent that from happening is to put into the hands of the individuals who are bringing the new candidates through the light that they should have gotten in the very beginning. And so I went back and I did research and I kept on describing what I was seeing. And ultimately, in describing what I was seeing and reading, the terms were defined for me. The meaning of words, and that's what you've done, you've helped us to understand what was really being said. And that clarifies for everybody what we're looking at and what we're supposed to be doing. You mentioned the Masonic path. What is the Masonic path to you? Describe that for us. The Masonic path is a series of steps that an individual must go through should they want to build their spiritual building. The spiritual building is the ultimate goal of Masonry, not Freemasonry, but Masonry. It's clearly spelled out in the Movable Jewels Lecture or the Immovable Jewels Lecture, depending on if you're on this side or the other side of the ocean. And what we're talking about is the trestle board or the tracing board, depending on what side you're on the ocean. They are defined or described pretty much the same way, that the trestle board is there to remind us that we are to erect a spiritual building that is agreeable to the rules and designs as laid out by God himself in his great books of nature and revelation. Now, the problem here is the great books of nature and revelation are not always described in ritual. Oftentimes, you'll find that particularly the later day rituals, they truncated it to just the Holy Bible. However, the early ritual writers knew about the two-book theology that was promoted in about 2,000 years ago. We're talking about from 300 to 500 CE, Christian theologians kept on saying, yeah, Scripture is great, but if you don't read it next to the book of nature, you're going to be lost. Moses Maimonides actually says that you, in order for you to follow any of your faith, you must lay a foundation. And I'm paraphrasing what he says, but basically, if you don't lay the foundation of the physical sciences, arithmetic, logic, rhetoric, math, geometry, first, any metaphysical study is going to be totally corrupt, and it's going to be absolutely out of line with what was intended by the writers, because the writers of these books were learned men, and they laid the foundation of physics before they got into the metaphysics. And if you want to see a really neat picture, you'll see a picture thrown around in a lot of esoteric groups where you see a man peeking through this veil into another place. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Yes. He's crawling in the lower left-hand side, and he's peeking his head through this veil. And on the other side is basically metaphysics, because he's in the physical world, and he's going through the veil to look at metaphysics. But he's founded in physics. And so 
when you're talking about the Masonic path, you've got to lay the first and foremost, the foundation. You've got to commit to working on your heart, which is all about the entered apprentice work. You have to strengthen yourself and make sure you're not burdened. And to strengthen yourself, we're talking about manly strength. Virtue is manly strength. And by divesting yourself of vices and superfluities, what you're doing is you are in the very act of divesting yourself, you're unburdening yourself with those things that are unnecessary. And by unburdening yourself, you now can take on the burden of learning. But you can't do that effectively without first strengthening yourself. And with every strike and blow of the common gavel to divest yourself of vices and superfluities, you're actually investing virtue with every strike. And you've got seven things in the entered apprentice degree that are called out as the cardinal and theological virtues. So the very first step on the Masonic path is strengthening and unburdening the heart and doing that work. It's literally preparing to learn. And the second step is the fellowcraft work. And as I know that you are just an absolute advocate for the trivium, and the trivium is only one half of the studies that you've got to do. The other half is the quadrivium. And you might ask yourself, why trivium and why quadrivium? That's a great question to ask because the trivium is all about your ability to read the scripture. However, the quadrivium is all about how you can read the book of nature. And if you do not have both of them studied and both of them at your disposal, you're only going to read half of God's rules and designs because God's rules and designs are out of two books, the scripture and also the book of nature. And if you want to know what the book of nature is, we're talking about science and we're talking about the world, the creation of the universe and how God put it all together. The way I see the trivium is very simple and it's still in very much alignment with what you just said. You have to clear the mechanism before you're able to absorb the rest of what you're going to be being taught. And so the trivium helps you to understand that in a logical way, in a grammatical way, not grammar being basic, no. You know, understanding of what is being spoken of, logically being able to put it together. And then the rhetoric, I'm going to use the proper words that gives me the best possibility that my idea is properly conveyed to you in the discoveries of the four sciences that you're talking about. Because if not, there's confusion now and corruption. So that's how I understand the importance of the trivium. But I'm not discounting the importance of the quadrivium, because that is how you begin to understand the mysteries of this world, of the universe. So, yes, you're very much so. You're correct. And so you're asking about the Masonic path. A lot of brothers never put the two together. They never realized that without laying that foundation, a.k.a. the EA work for the heart, bringing order to the chaos of the heart, and also finishing off the foundation by putting in a, I want to make sure I say it the right way, a body of wisdom, a.k.a. synonymous with King Solomon's temple. And that body of wisdom can only be done with a foundation of strength and unburdenedness, which shores up the building of the trivium and the quadrivium that you're putting on that foundation. You can study the trivium and quadrivium, but if you don't have a foundation, you will never get the wisdom that you're seeking. And without wisdom, you're not going to be able to get the master's word. And the reason behind getting the master's word is so that you can erect your spiritual building. 
Why? Because the master's word literally is the wisdom that you find by reading both the book of nature and the book of Revelation. And you have to complete your temple to do that. And once you complete your temple, aka the EA and the Fellowcraft work, by the way, the Fellowcraft work is bringing order to the chaos of your mind, which is what the Trivium Quadrivium bring. But you are not going to bring order to the chaos of the mind until you have a strong foundation of an unchaotic heart, because the two go together. And when they are both in order, they'll never be severed in twain. And that's exactly what it is you're seeking. And the fellow crafts that did not want to complete their temple would never be able to manifest the secrets of a master mason, which basically are all the disciplines that you develop in the EA and fellow craft degrees work, not the degrees themselves, but what the degrees point toward. And once you have completed your temple and you're found worthy, you're then capable of understanding the master's word and getting the master's word, which you'll find in the book of nature and revelation. And that's the interesting thing is that it's right there smack dab in front of you every time you take your obligation. Half of the master's word is right there. <laughs> and the rest is basically the structure that it's held in, the building or the creation of the universe. And if you want to erect a spiritual building yourself, you have to be able to understand not only God's word or the master's word as it is in scripture, but also as it's written right in front of you and the reality of the world and universe itself. So you were talking about what the Masonic path is. I just described it. <laughs> you did. And in flying colors, for those of you who are going to be listening to this, yeah, you just, you were just given a whole bunch. At the same time, as you're saying that, as you're speaking, something came to my mind. And that is because you're talking about bringing order to the chaos of the heart, order to the chaos of the mind. Mm -hmm. And so. I wrote down, you know, the trivium helps to dispel falsehoods and clears confusion. So in order to prepare the heart and mind to enter into these mysteries with a clear heart and a clear mind so that we can truly enjoy it and benefit from those mysteries that are locked within the Masonic first, second, and third degrees. And they've always been there. That's the crazy part for me. They've always been there, but nobody knew how to bring that out. And we had all these dots like right beneath the surface, but nobody was teaching us how to connect them. And here we are now. Thanks to your work. Thanks to some of the other works that I've read. And they're not necessarily in Masonic, but Sister Miriam Joseph's The Trivium. It's mm -hmm. a tough read, but those first 30 or 40 pages, if you really meditate on what she's saying, she's revealing a lot of what you just said. She's revealing it though, but like now to the whole world and to free our minds so that we can now live in better harmony with everything around us, with our fellow man and what have you. Amen. <laughs> yeah, amen to that. Before we leave, we're coming up on 30 minutes here. This has been a great conversation already. There's a number of tidbits. Again, the, the defining of terms, the, uh, the you know, Franck, uh, mystery, mastery, uh, mystery plays, Freemasonry and Masonry versus Masonry, which is for some people, if they haven't really thought about it, that there is definitely a difference, a big difference that you're trying, a distinction that you're making in your last two books, I believe. Or have you been making that distinction like for five or six books or is it just about half my books make the distinction yeah. at, at okay. least <laughs> at least okay so you came upon that right away and then the nature the book of nature and revelation what were the names of those books again you mentioned them right now the book of nature is is what okay let me cover the revelation first 
the problem with the word revelation is within the context of the ritual itself, we're not talking about the book of Revelation, a.k.a. the Apocalypse. We're not talking about the very last book of the Bible. We're using the term revelation and ritual as in the revealed words of God, which basically encompasses the Old Testament and New Testament of the Christian, the Tanakh and the Jewish. In Islam, we're talking about the Quran. If you go toward the Middle East, or shall I say farther east, we're talking about the Magadavida. We're even taking a look at the Dao Te Ching. We're talking about every last one of them is revealing the way God's trying to convey to us how we can get along with not only ourselves, but others. And so when it talks about the book of Revelation, it's talking about what we believe God has inspired us to write, having to do with, again, how to get along with ourselves and each other. It's all about psychology. It's all about sociology. It's all about what we believe God wants us to be following when it has to do with personal habits and social habits. And so when we hear the term book of revelation, we're not talking about that last book of the Christian text. We're talking about all inspired words of God. And when we're talking about the book of nature, which is what you were asking about, we are talking about what was known prior to the 1800s as natural philosophy, as in how the world and the universe operates. And if you notice that everything and anything that's written about how the world operates and how the universe operates, it's usually broken down into some sort of mathematical or logical communication. And it might involve geometry, it may involve arithmetic, it may involve music or even astronomy as we now understand it, physics in general. So that book of nature is now known as what we have discovered as science. Now, there was a book written about 1300 in Latin called the book of nature, and it was translated in about 1400 to German. And finally, after several revisions and additions and translations into English in 1870, you can literally find it on Google called the Book of Nature. And what you'll find is throughout the pages are scientific discoveries up until about 1870. And we're talking about arithmetic, geometry, physics, chemistry, physiology, geography. The book literally reads as a huge science book having to do with how the universe works. And of course, since that time, the science explosion has occurred in literature. So it's a great springboard to get yourself understanding what was written about science and nature up until around 1870. But beyond that, you know, natural philosophy is now known as science and natural philosophers are now known as scientists. And so when ritual had the greatest books of nature and revelation, they were talking about natural philosophy when they referred to nature, which is now known as science. So greatest books of science and the word of God. And they are a two book theology that was denoted and acknowledged by our ritual writers as something that was very important to be able to understand in order for you to build a spiritual building. Once again, we hear these words in our ritual and we have no context. It takes quite a bit of time and effort and energy 
to try and get down to like, what are they saying? I mean, it sounds good, especially when the ritual is delivered effortlessly, but it's rote memory. You can't ask that officer, what does that mean? What did you just say? I don't know. I just memorized it and I gave it to you. But having this kind of context now really impacts not only my understanding, it, but my journey, the Masonic path journey. Understanding now what more or less what we're truly involved in is uh, incredibly, at the very end, you, you get some kind of closure because you understand that now, but it just opened up this whole new world to discover what yeah. else is in there. It's like, what, oh my God, now that I know what it is that I'm doing, it opens up the door to so much more. <laughs> yeah, so, okay, the, the Pandora's box is, is open now. There's no way we can put the lid back on, and here we go. We cannot claim ignorance any longer. Let's go with uh, fortitude, with temperance. Let's go and discover more. I want to finish this session, and hopefully we have a few more. I really enjoy We have a few more minutes, Caesar. What I'd like to do is yes. set up for our listeners what you would like to talk with me about in future episodes. Okay. What I'd like to talk about, I'd like to get a little bit deeper into the, again, once again, the, the book of nature and revelation. Okay. Because that's just fascinating. And the mystery place that you talked about. Awesome. That's what I want to delve into. Can I ask you a couple more things here? Absolutely. Take a few minutes? Yes. So our Grand Lodge, we just recently had Grand Lodge Communications. And when is it in New York? Are you in New York? Is that where you're in? I'm, uh, I'm in a little place called Florida. Uh, Florida. <laughs> when is your Grand Lodge Communications over there? Uh, we have ours Memorial Day weekend, late part of May, which means it's done and over with for this year, but it's coming up in about maybe five or six months. Five or six months. And now we just recently had ours and there was some interesting legislation. I wanted to pick your brain a little bit and tell me what you thought. One of the legislations was three past masters wrote it. And actually this was a recommendation as one of our past grandmasters. And it was the allowance of virtual meetings to happen for stated meetings. This is kind of, for me, after the pandemic, I finally got to see the power of Zoom and these types of interactions that we can have. I just don't believe that it should be allowed to go inside the lodge in our sacred space. I wanted to get your take on that. How do you feel about allowing virtual meetings to happen for stated meetings and things like that? Now we're opening up an entire different box and it has to do with how the organization runs. And I will let you know that I'm a firm believer that what passes as stated meetings is really business meetings. And as far as I'm concerned, business meetings can be held virtually because it's not Freemasonry. It's just basically the business of running the organization. Whereas if you have a degree going on or installation, I'm sorry, that has to be in person. If you have the kind of stated meetings that I would like to see where you're actually providing education or discourse with the brothers, which I believe is in good earnest, the real true reason for us to meet, then those ought to be in person. And unfortunately, what it is that they're trying to do is they're trying to bring our routine business meetings into the virtual world and our routine business meetings are basically our stated meetings and there's really nothing going on there other than just regular business. So there's nothing secret going on, really. I don't know if that answers your question. It did. That's your take. And the, and the other one was, and back in 1990, 
they passed legislation that they can finally admit alcohol at lodges. And there were stipulations, but that over here, we're not a dry state. So there are certain times where you can have it. One of the big things that you can't store alcohol at lodge, but there was legislation that they were trying to get rid of it. And I mean, it just got shot down. When I began to hear about this and had conversations with brothers, they were like, what? What are you talking about? I mean, didn't the brothers of old meet in taverns, you know, and on top of it? I go, yeah, they did. I don't know what the deal is. What is your take on that as far as prohibition? How does Florida handle it? That allowed it? Florida is a dry state when it comes to the Blue Lodge experience. We do not allow any alcohol whatsoever. In fact, lodges Mm -hmm. are not permitted to even have alcohol if they host a wedding or any kind of party. It's just absolutely not allowed. Now, at the Scottish Rite level, they have part of their ceremonies where alcohol is imbibed in as just part of the ceremony itself. But at the Blue Lodge level, we are prohibition all the way. Now, going back to what you had said, yeah, it started out as beatings in taverns where food, drink, and song were provided. And if you want to get a good idea as to what kind of songs are being sung, look at the original Anderson's Constitution at 11 pages of the back, 90 some odd pages, 11 of them are drinking songs. (laughs) So we came from that background. And unfortunately, what's happened over the years, we have migrated from meeting at taverns to building our own buildings above workplaces to a majority of the buildings throughout the United States that at least I venture into are dedicated strictly to lodge activities. And therefore, you've got a white elephant that is not producing any kind of income stream as a result of the buildings being dedicated not only to the craft, but not allowing the usual business to occur in those buildings when they're not being used. So so I come from a dry state, couldn't care less one way or the other. It makes no difference to me. But if I were to attend a meeting where alcohol was being served and I recognized that it was impacting the quality of the meeting going on, I probably would not attend. I'm not there to get inebriated and I'm not there to watch other people get inebriated. I'm there for Masonic work, not Freemasonic work. It's like I said, I joined the gym to get a workout. I didn't join the gym to run the gym. And I find that a majority of meetings are running the gym. They're not providing the workout that I joined for. (laughs) So what I do is attend degrees and I attend installations and funerals, normal business meetings, unless I'm required to come to attend to cast a vote on something that requires my support and or provide Masonic information and light. I don't attend. I'm not there to run the gym. Yeah, it definitely, it was a point of contention for many years up until they passed legislation back in 1990 to allow alcohol to be brought in. But most of the lodges, when you go, you don't see any of that. They go for the regular business. They go for degrees, maybe on a special occasion, an installation, you know, a dinner. They might bring some wine or something or, or someone might bring their own bottle of wine. But other than that, you don't really see it. For that to be brought up, I would have to talk to the past masters that wrote that legislation. What, what's going on in their neck of the woods? Absolutely. What's, what's happening? Because, yeah, we are there for the work. We are there for the ritual. We are there for our state of meetings. You know, 10 minutes or less, we're done with the business and we're engaging in, in uh, conversation. Awesome. Like education. So, uh, Brother Nagy, before we close out, I'd like to thank you. 
and I feel honored that you were on this show. This conversation was what I thought it was going to be and a whole lot more. And I appreciate and I really acknowledge everything that you have done. I go on your website. I've looked at many of your books. I've read two of your books, all kinds of notes everywhere. We can have a conversation on those two books that's never going to end because of the amount of detail that you put into this thing that allowed me to wander in other regions that I wasn't even thinking about. So I acknowledge you and I thank you for that. Well, you're most welcome and the honor is mine and the privilege is mine for being able to come on your podcast and talk with you. I truly appreciate you allowing me to video it, to put it on my YouTube channel as well. Absolutely. And you've honored me by being a guest on your podcast. And I'm going to gift it back to you by saying thank you for allowing me to come in and share some light with the brothers and yourself. May the light shine bright and continue to shine bright with you and the rest of the brethren that are listening. With that, we will close with our usual closing, brother. These strong sessions are calculated to inculcate in the mind of the novitiate the importance of some doing our passions and improving ourselves in masonry, feeding the attentive ear with the sound of the instructive tongue, endeavoring to add to the common stock of knowledge and understanding, effectively spreading the cement of knowledge and wisdom, and hopefully some good will towards exercising. Get out there and get your walking in. Open up your ciphers. Study, memorize, and just do it. Get her done. (laughs) Get her done. Just do it. (laughs) 